Our scripture reading this morning, we're continuing in the, the Gospel of Mark, so you can find that printed in your bulletins. Uh, you can also turn to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 30 this morning. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. If I were to say, oh, I'm going to say, when I say the words, people of Walmart, people of Walmart, what does, what does that bring to mind for most of us? Now, most of us, if we've received a people of Walmart email or seen a people of Walmart post on Facebook, probably immediately think freak show. Uh, if you haven't seen it, people of Walmart are pictures of some of the uh, most strangely dressed, uh, most underdressed, most inappropriately dressed, oddest collection of people who wander in and out of various Walmarts and have the misfortune of actually being caught on camera. Um, Walmart has everyday low prices, right? And that's great, and we all love that. But because of that, it does attract an assortment of the oddest and the poorest and really the people on the margins of our society. So, so when you see those pictures, right, we all, we all, what do you feel? We all, we all laugh when we see those pictures. Why do we do that? We cackle kind of in disbelief when we see those at the, the unfashionable and the uneducated and the strange. Why, why is that? Why is that our reaction? I think it's partially because we're also driven by comparison. And so I can look at those pictures and I feel more fashionable and more educated and less strange myself, more, more cool and more with it, at least than a few people in the world. My life, as messy as it is, feels better for a few moments than the lives of, of those people. But what would it be like to be one of those people? What would it be like to be one of those people? What, what would it be like to look at the pictures that are making the rounds on Facebook that everybody's laughing at and see yourself. See that you had been caught in Walmart and everybody was passing your picture around and laughing at you. I mean, that would just, that would feel awful, right? I, I think the reality though is that for many of us, that's kind of how we feel at many times in our lives, maybe every day when you get up and look at yourself in the mirror, uh, when we look at the scope of our lives as a whole, we know how to, to clean up and dress appropriately and put on the right kind of outward appearance for everybody. But we know that despite those outward appearances, our interior life is a wreck. You know, if there, if there are a, a people of Walmart going around that showed our interior lives, we'd all be on that. We'd be founding members because we're confused and lustful and envying and idolatrous and greedy and hurt and afraid and uncertain and doubting and dying for people to, to love us, the needy. And we wonder in the midst of all that, if we're honest, does God really care about me? Could God possibly love me when even though I look like I have everything put together, but on the inside I know that I'm very much a wreck? I want you to see this morning that if, if that's you, then this passage has good news for you. It has good news for the people of Walmart. Uh, it has good news 
the sheep who lack a shepherd. Uh, let's, let's read uh, Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. This is God's word. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for your word and, and thank you that you've drawn us to, to hear it today. I pray that you'd help me to, to preach it, to proclaim it faithfully, uh, and that you would indeed give us ears to hear it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So how's this passage going to be good news for, for the people of Walmart? Uh, I want you to see four things in this. Jesus cares about you. Jesus will teach you. Jesus will satisfy you. And Jesus will make use of you. First of all, Jesus cares about you. What if you or I were to, and you, you, what if you and I were to look at those strange people of Walmart pictures, and instead of looking at them with disdain, what if we were to see sheep without a shepherd? People who are in need of direction. Instead of someone to laugh at, what if I saw sheep in need of a shepherd? That's what Jesus saw as the crowd gathered around him this day. Uh, they had tried to get away for some rest, but the, the crowds had followed him. Uh, John tells us that they even wanted to come and to make him king by force. Uh, people who were there who wanted to throw off the yoke of Roman oppression. They wanted a liberator, and they thought maybe Jesus was the one. These were people whose spiritual leaders were taking them nowhere. They were getting no direction from their religious leaders. They were sheep without a shepherd. Um, I saw a, a picture this week of sheep actually in a suburb of Beijing. And they were kind of wandering through the woods on the edge of this suburb, and they were lost because of the, the, the fog of pollution that so often settles over Beijing is one of the most polluted cities in the world. And the caption said that the flock was struck dumb in its tracks. If you can just imagine the sheep, like, I don't know, I don't know where to go. We're, we're just locked in by this pollution. Struck dumb in their tracks. 
and there was no one to guide them through it. There was no shepherd to point them in the right direction. Jesus looked at the crowd, and the crowd was like that. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And what was his reaction? Verse 34 tells us that he had compassion on them. He had compassion on these sheep without a shepherd. And that's good news. That's good news for us. That's good news for the people of Walmart. That's good news for, for, for you and for me, that Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares about the things going on in your life right now. Now, you may say, I I don't know. I can't imagine that God would want to have anything to do with me after what I said, after the things that I've done, after what was done to me. I mean, I'm just damaged goods, and I can't see God actually caring personally about me and my life. I was watching a television show Friday night, and... and, uh, pastor in it was talking to a young boy and the kid was trying to explain to his pastor why he hadn't been to church in a long time and he said I don't think God wants me there and the pastor said why and he said I think he's mad at me why because of what I've done and maybe you're nursing that thought this morning I mean you you managed to come here but maybe in the back of your mind you're thinking I'm not so sure that God really wants me around. And I want you to hear very clearly from this text, God does want you here. And we do want you here because Jesus cares about you. It is true that if we are outside of Christ, then we are under God's wrath. But God takes no delight in us continuing along that path. He would have him turn to him, would have you turn to him and embrace him because he loves you. Uh, D.A. Carson wrote, God and his perfections must be wrathful against his rebel image bearers for they have offended him. But then he writes, God and his perfections must be loving toward his rebel image bearers for he is that kind of God. He is that kind of God. So God doesn't secretly wish that you weren't here with all of your hidden junk this morning, that, that, you, that, that you were bothering somebody else. He feels compassion toward you. Jesus feels compassion toward you. He cares about you. He is ready and willing to save you. He invites you to believe, if you haven't, to be saved. If you are a believer, the scripture teaches us that Jesus has this special, extraordinary love which he directs toward those sheep who have heard his voice. And you need to know that in the middle of your no good, very bad day, or in the middle of your no good, very bad week, or your no good, very bad month, or your no good, very bad year, that he hasn't forgotten about you. And he feels compassion towards you. And he cares about you and your family your children, and your future. Jesus cares about you. He loves you. And I think if, 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 if we believed that, really thought on that, that would be utterly life-transforming for us. To get up and to say, Jesus cares about me. Even with all the baggage that I'm bringing to the table, Jesus cares about me. 
Uh, secondly, the second part of the good news here is that we're told that Jesus will teach us. Jesus will teach us. Uh, the first thing we read, Jesus sees that they're sheep without a shepherd. He feels compassion for them. And so what does he do? He starts teaching. The, these people need direction. They need to be taught. When you see a poorly dressed person, somebody who's out in public and, and they're just, you know, they're wearing something you're like, they should have never gone outside of the house with that. What you're kind of secretly wishing is one of those reality show people would show up and teach them the appropriate way to dress. Buy them a new wardrobe and, and say, hey, help them out. Teach them how to dress. In a way, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's teaching them how to dress, so to speak. He's teaching them how to live life in the world that he designed. When you think about that, that, that's who's teaching them. It's the one who made the world. It was created through him. And so he's standing and, and teaching them, here's how you live in this world that I designed. And here's what you need to know about who God is and who you are and what I've come to do. And you and I need that teaching as well. If we're going to navigate life and, and live life well, we need to know who God is and, and who we are and what Jesus has come to do in this world. I'm much better at taking care of our swimming pool than I was when we first bought our house six years ago. When we bought the house, I didn't understand pools. Uh, I didn't understand water chemistry. And as a result of that, I spent a lot of money throwing too many chemicals and throw too much stuff in it, and then it, it shoots this way. you got to compensate, and I throw too much of this. And it's just kind of bouncing back and forth, and there's algae blooms and, and all of this stuff. Too many trips to the pool store, uh, handing them cash money. And then, and then, I, then I came across this website called Trouble Free Pools, and it was all these people who had been taking care of their pools for forever, and I began to read that and study that and learn tips and, and, and what was important in terms of taking care of my pool, the importance of testing the water every day and the right chemicals to buy. And I've gotten a little bit better at it every year. This is the best year so far. And the pool looks a little better every year. But I had to be taught. I had to be taught. I didn't understand the beginning. I had to be taught. Uh, we live in a culture that doesn't feel like we need to be taught anything about God. Uh, we feel like we kind of have this right to design our own God. Uh, that, and you hear people frequently say, I just, my God isn't like that, or I prefer to think of God in this way. But the scripture is at pains to teach us that God is not like, uh, like this iPhone case that we just pick the color that matches our eyes and then that's okay. We just find the God that works for us. The scriptures tell us that God reveals himself to us in Jesus, because one of the things he's doing is he miraculously turns these, multiplies these fish and, and loaves. He reveals himself to us in Jesus, and Jesus speaks to us in his word. He, he teaches. He was teaching that day. He continues to teach us in the pages of the scriptures, and Jesus will teach you. You know, you're thinking, I don't have a clue how to, how to, how to do life right. I've, I've made a wreck of everything Jesus will patiently teach you. He will teach you. But just like I had to keep going back to the Trouble Free Pools website and had to read a little bit more, and then I had to go and figure out how to 
check the water, and then I had to examine that against what I was seeing on the website. We have to take the scriptures and read it, and then we have to look at our life and test it and examine our lives and see if what we see in our lives, how that's comparing to what we see in the scriptures, and we have to seek to correct that and to bring our lives more and more in line with what we're seeing in the pages of scripture. That teaching happens here. It happens in small group Bible studies. Uh, it happens in your families. It happens when you sit and read God's word and, and meditate upon it. Uh, Jesus will teach you. He will teach you uh, how to do life. Uh, thirdly, here, Jesus cares about you. Jesus will teach you. Jesus will satisfy you. Jesus will satisfy you. Uh, in verse 42, we read that all the people ate, and they were satisfied. They ate the food that Jesus provided, and they were satisfied. And if you and I are going to be satisfied, we have to eat the food that Jesus provides and that only Jesus can provide. Uh, in her blog this week, I thought this fit really well with this passage. Uh, Kristen Hatton writes this. It's a, it's a little bit long, so, so bear with me. The day I first learned my daughter was battling bulimia, we were together in the car for the first time since she had gotten her driver's license the month before. While I had been so ready for her to be able to drive herself, I was excited that morning to have her back in my front seat again. Car time is when we always had our best conversations. This day would be no different, only... It was far from any conversation I ever expected we would have. Before I even backed out of the driveway, the floodgates opened and out of her mouth spilled the secret she had been carrying alone. Hearing her describe the worthlessness she felt, picturing my baby girl alone in her bathroom, slouched over the toilet, undid me. I pushed back the sting of tears, an overwhelming desire to pull the car over so I could hold her tight. How could this possibly be her struggle? Obviously, as her mother, I'm partial, but my daughter is objectively gorgeous, outgoing, talented, funny, compassionate, and well-liked. If only reminding her of those qualities changed how she felt about herself, but they didn't. Nor did they offer the reassurance of the secure identity she really needed to know she had. All she saw was the girl who didn't measure up to her friends. Their seeming perfection glared next to all the ways she believed she missed the mark. Whether they appeared to be skinnier, prettier, smarter, wealthier, better dressed, more popular, more athletic, or even better liked by her teachers, the comparisons were endless. Sadly, my daughter is far from alone in these feelings. In an anonymous teen survey I conducted in 2015, approximately three-fourths of the respondents indicated they struggled with comparison. While this doesn't necessarily lead to an eating disorder or even body image issues, it was clear most teens wrestle with insecurity and inadequacy. They want to know they are accepted and loved, that they matter. But instead of finding their worth in Christ, they turn to false sources that will never satisfy and always leave them empty and craving for something more. See, it's, it's not just that we compare ourselves 
to people that we perceive to be beneath us to bolster our identities. We compare ourselves to people that we perceive are above us, and we think, if I just, if I just can measure up to them, if I can just get there, if I can just be as smart as they are, or as funny as they are, if, if they would just accept me or welcome me, if, if I could just do something so that they would actually notice me and I wouldn't feel so alone, then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be satisfied. But you won't. And you never will be. Because it's not what you're made for. There is an ache inside of each one of us that food can't fix, achievement can't fix, popularity can't fix, none of it will satisfy, which is why you and I need the food that only Jesus can provide. Well, you say, what's this magic food? You're going to break out some loaves and fishes this morning. Where is this, where is this magic bread that's going to satisfy me? The wording of verse 41 is interesting. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. It's interesting because the same, it's the same sort of language he use, uses on another day when we're told the hour was getting late. At the Last Supper in Mark chapter 14 we read, And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it. And gave it to the disciples and said, take, this is my body. Take, this is my body. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life that will satisfy your soul. Jesus is the bread that has to be broken. Jesus is the bread that has to be broken for you and I to have life. So you and I aren't made to live off the applause of other people. We aren't made to, to find satisfaction in measuring up to the people around us. We're made to know God. We're made for a relationship with him. And the only way we can have that relationship with God, the only way we can be restored to a right relationship with him is if Jesus is broken for you. If Jesus is broken for you to bring you back into a relationship with God, you're made for that relationship. You're made for that relationship. And your heart, to paraphrase Augustine, will be restless We'll always be looking for something to satisfy it until you find rest in him and in knowing him. And Jesus has to be broken for you to have that relationship. So the invitation is to come and be satisfied. Come and find rest. Come and receive the food that Jesus offers. Uh, it's not loaves. It's not fishes. It's his body and his blood which he willingly extends and offers to the people of Walmart, to the sheep who are without a shepherd. Um, Kristen Hatton goes on to continue in her blog. 
She says, to debunk Satan's whispering lies, convincing them they are not enough. What they need to hear again and again is who Christ says they are. And he says that they are more than enough, more than conquerors, his beloved children to whom all things have been given. Yes, the God of the universe who knit them together in their mother's wombs, cast his love upon them and ascribes them with infinite value, calls them his sons and daughters, heirs of his eternal promises. Wow. I cannot emphasize this truth enough in my girls' Bible study and to my own teenage children. Understanding who God declares them to be is foundational to resting in their true identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, Jesus took on our identity and gave us his. He became all the sin of all his people from all time so we could wear his righteousness. With the stain of sin cleansed and covered, we are made right with God and stand without accusation or condemnation. Amazingly, this means God sees us as he sees his son, holy, perfect, and complete. While justification is the one-time declaration of God that sufficiently secures our right standing, it is not a one-time truth we grasp and move on from. It is what my daughter and other teens and all of us need to be constantly reminded because of how easily they fall back into tying their identity to something else. All it takes is one picture on Instagram, a pair of jeans fitting too tight, the success of a classmate, failure to make a team, a snide comment, or no invitation to the dance. In an instant, these things matter more than the identity Jesus secured for them at the cross. But being pretty, skinny, smart, athletic, popular, or attaining a certain number of likes or retweets on a post will never be big enough or valuable enough to sustain lasting worth and significance. Only the worth and work of Christ for them, his perfect performance is. Rooted in Christ enables our teens and us to combat the lies with truth that says, no matter what my peers say about me, I am deeply loved. Even though I have messed up for the thousandth time, God calls me righteous. Although I didn't make the team or get asked to the dance or pass the test or get that many likes on my post, my significance and worth is in Christ. I don't have to prove or elevate myself because God accepts me as I am and his opinion is the only one that matters. By God's grace, when my daughter finally began to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, healing and freedom began to take shape. But we keep going back to remember this truth. For he is for her and who she is in him. Because every time she sees herself as failing to measure up, it is not her friend's perfection, but Jesus' perfection for her that she must fix her eyes on again. You know when the, when the, the power goes out in your house and you keep walking in the rooms trying to turn the lights on even though you know the power's out? I did this like a thousand times yesterday afternoon when the power was out. And you keep expecting the lights to come on, but, but they never do. No matter how many times you flip the switch, 
That's what it's like when we keep trying to find something that will satisfy us other than Jesus, other than finding our identity and rest in him. We keep running back to it. We keep flipping the switch thinking, this is going to be the time that lights up and I feel okay about myself. And it, it never works because the things of this world aren't made to bring you ultimate satisfaction. That's not what you're made for. You're made for someone much more. And so we have to continually fix our eyes on him and his love for us, his righteousness for us. Jesus will satisfy you. And then finally, I'll close with this. Jesus will make use of you. Uh, most every commentator on this passage notes the fact that Jesus didn't have to use the loaves and the fishes that were already there. Like he could have just kind of said, hey, I don't care what they have. I'm just going to do like a Dumbledore thing and make a big feast out of nothing. All right. He, he, he could have easily done that, but he didn't. He used what was there. And part of what he is teaching them is the disciples is to be dependent on him in situations where they, they can't provide what is needed. But the other thing I think he's teaching them is that God does great things and he delights to do great things by using us and our insignificant resources. That God, he could do great things without us, but he delights to do great things by using us and our insignificant resources. You know, you, you may say, you know, I, I'm really not bringing much to the table in terms of my gifts and abilities. But the good news is, is that God delights to multiply blessings through meager gifts and through meager abilities, even yours and even mine. The reality is, is that you and I are all members of the people of Walmart. But Jesus cares about you. He loves you. And if you come to him, he will teach you, he will satisfy you, and he will make use of you, even you, even me. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that these will not just be words that hang in the air and then disappear when we leave, but that we would really believe that you love us that you have provided Jesus for us. And the only way to, to truly be satisfied is to find our rest uh, in him. Help us to do that, we ask him in Jesus' name. Amen.